0: Get your Bibles out a while and turn them to uh, to Matthew chapter 24 verse 14. We started a new series last week, uh, four weeks where we're talking about the mission that if you're a believer, we've been given as believers, and the price tag that we may have to pay for success in that mission. Jesus talked about... Um, he de- pictured the success in this passage, Matthew twenty five fourteen. He says, "And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world, so that all nations or all people groups we said that word s- speaks about people more so than countries will hear it, and then the end will come." So, these, what needs to take place between now and the fulfillment of this? right before Jesus comes back. And we said that the price for that might be suffering. Let's just review the mission itself. A couple chapters later, Matthew 28, beginning of verse 18, Jesus came and told his disciples. So he's speaking to his disciples. Yes, Peter, James, and John, and Bartholomew, and the rest of them. But he's also speaking to us. If you're Consider yourself a disciple, you're a follower of Jesus, then he's speaking to you and I 2,000 years later as well. I have been given all authority in heaven and earth, therefore, I love that word, therefore, after that declaration, Jesus is saying, I'm in charge, and therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey All the commands I have given you. That's the mission. Make disciples of all people. So following two Sundays we're gonna look at some case studies of where there's huge need around the world. Next week we're gonna look at India and the following week we're gonna look at uh, Yemen. I'm thinking this morning about uh, specifically about churches in places like that, where they suffer for Jesus. The title of my message is Their Churches and Ours. Specifically, what are some differences? Last week, the Taliban announced publicly in Afghanistan a plan to, quote, eradicate the ignorance of irreligion eradicate the ignorance of irreligion now if you and I were talking about irreligious people in the United States we'd be talking about atheists and agnostics those are the irreligious people ir, that prefix simply means not religious irreligious, not religious but if you are in Afghanistan today irreligious means you're not Muslim So you could be a Buddhist or a Christian or Hindu and the Taliban say you're irreligious too. So they're going to eradicate the ignorance of anyone who believes something other than Islamic beliefs. And they have made clear how they intend to do this. We're going to take your daughters and we're gonna make them sex slaves of our fighters or wives of our fighters and we're gonna take your sons and we're gonna make them Taliban fighters. A pastor, Afghani pastor, might surprise you to know there's Christians in Afghanistan. A pastor got a letter from the Taliban several weeks ago and they said, we know who you are, we know what you do, and we know how to find you. And they showed up at his door about five days later Thankfully, he and his family had already fled. A Christian dad had his 14-year-old daughter stripped from his arms, and the Taliban said, you should be honored. She will be married to one of our fighters and will serve the great cause of Islam. Afghan Christians have turned off their phones because they are routinely being stopped on the streets to see if there's a Bible app on their phones. Two weeks ago, this weekend, in Memphis, Tennessee, there were two churches who got together to have a weekend retreat. And the people in the one church, for them, English was their first language. The people in the other church, for them, Pashtun was their first language. It was an English church and an Afghan church meeting for the weekend. And that was, if you know what all was happening, then you know that was a very busy, active weekend. And the Afghani Christians were in constant communication with loved ones back in Afghans through uh, texts and through phone calls. And during their worship time, someone came in and whispered in the ear of one of the Afghan leaders, the president has fled Kabul, the Taliban are now in charge. And yet over that weekend, as they worshiped together, as they prayed together, as they wept together, as they searched the scriptures together, when it was all done, they sang the words of... Martin Luther's classic hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, and they sung this testimony. Let goods and kindred go, my possessions, my loved ones, this mortal life also, my life. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still, his kingdom is forever. How could you sing that when your loved ones are in jeopardy before we go on this morning I'd like if we if you're able to at your seat if you're able to I'd like you to kneel at your chair and let's pray for the church in Afghanistan Father, we would cry out with Amos, oh Lord, your people are so small. There's so few of them. How will they ever survive? How will the church in Afghanistan survive? And we pray for people that are even now fleeing with their children. The airport's no longer an option. They're trying to make their way to the borders of Afghanistan, maybe get across into a country that will give them refuge. We pray for physical strength. We pray that your angels would go ahead of them and guide the pathways, the roads to avoid and the roads to take. That those angels would blind the eyes of Taliban soldiers so that more and more of your children can escape. That along the way they would meet sympathizers who would provide them with food and water and perhaps even a guide to take them safely over the next mountain we pray for a boldness that can only come from the holy spirit a fearlessness that even in the face of possible death they would fix their eyes on jesus that there might be some that they encounter in this flight that would be captivated by their witness. Why not just say, I renounce Jesus, I be a good Muslim again. Why not? That this might be a season in which the church would not only survive, but thrive and flourish and grow. And that you would gain great glory from it. May we in the West never forget our brothers and sisters around the world who suffer so much even as we suffer so little. In Jesus' name, amen. And yet, this is the second fastest-growing church in the world. Tiny might be only 5,000 to 12,000 Christians in a, in a country of 40 million, 40 million people. Second fastest-growing church in America. Uh, by the way, the, uh, in the world, first largest. Uh, church, the fastest growing church in the world, is Iran, another closed country, another Muslim country, another country where death is likely if you serve Christ. And you compare, the, you compare these two countries with the United States of America, and we have no fears this morning that our services will be interrupted or threatened, None. We don't have watchers out at the door to see if anybody's going to come and close us down. This is a big building in our community and everybody around knows it's a church building. And what's going on here this morning? Probably many of us have half a dozen Bibles in our house, right? Right? Freedom to worship as we see fit, the freedom to read our Bibles, the freedom to pray and to sing songs. I mean, when the band gets kicking in here, you can hear us a block away. And meanwhile, in places around the world where they whisper their songs of praise, where they whisper their reading of scripture, where they meet in forest coves and basements, growing in the United States of America, in the last ten years, twelve percent fewer people say I'm a Christian. In the last ten years, there are eight percent fewer Protestant Christians in America. In the last 10 years, for the first time in 80 years, the number of church members in the United States of America has dropped below 50%. What's the difference between their churches and ours? Now, the temptation is to say, and many have, I've said it past years, changed my thinking on this, but the temptation is to credit persecution. But all persecution really does is weed out the unserious. That's all it does. It's a different kind of church because the price is so high. I've said before, I think of Persecution, severe persecution comes to our shores that the American church loses 40% of professing Christians virtually overnight. Persecution, all it does really is weed out the unserious. Here's what I think is the difference between our churches and theirs. What we treasure, we will suffer for. What we treasure, we will suffer for. Now this morning, early in the morning, I went out for a bike ride. Um, when we came back from our trip, uh, I was telling Betty in the final week and a half or so, I said, my back feels better than it's felt in two and a half years. Uh, that was prior to having surgery, and it was bad shape then. After surgery, even got even worse, but I, I, I'm feeling great. And the only thing that we could think might be the explanation was that i was far more active that month that we were gone than i normally am <clears throat> we actually ended up doing uh, hiking i didn't plan to do any hiking and uh i thought i'm gonna try it in yosemite we did the first hike and it went pretty well and and so we were doing more hiking and by the time we got to zion i think we did five miles that one day of hiking and every night because of our setup with our car, <clears throat> we'd have a lot of unpacking to do. Every morning, we'd have to repack it. And uh, trying to get dressed, you know, with 20 inches of headroom or so and undressed. I, I was just active a lot. And so I thought, well, when I come back, I'm going to try to be more active again, get, up, get out on my bike more and walk more. And, and so I was out on my bike this morning. <coughs> and there were, there were other people out there as well. So I passed an Amishman. Uh, it wasn't dark but it was gray I had my headlamp and my taillight on and he he had a a headlamp on and he's running and I guess training for some uh, marathon or or race and then a little further down the road I I came across a woman and and uh, she was running and she didn't look like she was having a good time at all I mean she was grimacing and panting and looking at her Fitbit, like, when can I get done? And, and I rode a little further, and I came across another woman who, who was walking. And my get, like, I enjoyed riding bicycle, but I, I, I don't, I'm not in love with it. I don't treasure it. If I didn't feel I need it, I probably wouldn't do it, or wouldn't try to make sure I did it a lot. But... We all have something that drives us to run a ride bike that we do treasure. I treasure not having a lot of pain in my back. I treasure, have you noticed I've been standing the last two weeks? I treasure being able to stand for more than two minutes. And my guess is the one woman looked like she was trying to lose some weight. My guess is she treasures the health of what losing weight might bring her. And the other woman was probably health Driven as well, the Amish guy running. He was—I I don't know what he was treasuring. Winning the race, maybe. But isn't it true for you? What you what you treasure, you're willing to suffer for. And what we treasure, we'll talk about. You think about the things that. We have conversations about. Our favorite ball teams. Political stuff. You know, might, not, not, might not treasure politics, but you kind of treasure your opinion on politics, right? The things that we talk about are the things that we treasure. And I think those two things explain the difference between their churches and ours look at first peter chapter 2 verses 9 and 10 i have underneath first peter there at the beginning of the book i have written in my bible this is the manual on suffering first peter is a manual on suffering first peter is a cherished book in much of the world that is persecuted. This is a side note. Uh, I was in uh, Vietnam 20 years ago. Um, I was in Laos 20 years ago, and uh, I was in Laos another trip. Um, both of those countries are communists, and you are forbidden to meet, and it's at least illegal to meet as Christians. Now in Laos, in the capital city of Vientiane, there are three churches that are permitted. Uh, I call them showcase churches. They Um, when people come in from uh, that the government wants to impress from the outside they take them to these three churches and say see we have freedom of religion here but everywhere else in the country you meet underground and Dave and I met uh, with a dentist in Laos in a hotel room one day and uh, two people from his church uh, and prayed together and it's interesting as you talk to the people in the underground churches in these countries Uh, When I was in Vietnam, a a pastor that went by the name of Timothy, he said, when you go back to the West, he said, don't ask your churches to pray that suffering will end for us. And, you know, from the Western vantage point, I go, wait, what? He's like, "We, we we really don't want what you have. We don't want what you have. Peter says in these verses, he's speaking to believers. He's just spoken about people who are rejecting Christ and who are going to face the judgment that that's going to entail. But then he shifts in verse 9 and says, but you're not like that. The people I'm writing to, you're not like that. For you you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession." As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you had received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. And I have two points I want to draw out of this. They're really kind of one, but uh, one sentence, but I cut them into two pieces. The first one is that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, that you have been picked for mercy. You have been picked for mercy. So all kinds of language throughout the New Testament talks about God choosing, God choosing, God choosing. And it's not different language than he used in the Old Testament. He says that he chose his people, Exodus chapter. In fact, it's interesting. It's the language here in verse nine, you are royal, you're a chosen people, you're a royal peace, priest, you are a holy nation. That language is lifted exactly from exodus 19 verse 11 i think it is where god was saying you're, you're my chosen people israel you're my holy priests you're, you're my holy nation my royal priest my holy nation you've been picked for mercy in other words god's gone out of his way to find you and draw you to himself Jerry Bridges, who's going to be with the Lord now, in his book, Discipline of Grace, said something that you've heard from this platform by me and plenty of other speakers along the way. It's an admonition to us as Christians to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. Have you heard that before? Preach the gospel to yourself every day. Why? Why should I preach The gospel to myself every day well because if I don't I I lose any kind of delight in what Christ has done for me it's like what have you done for me lately and this is where the prosperity gospel gets so many legs these days I'll tell you, God's going to do this for you today. God's going to do this for you tomorrow. God's going to, what about what he did for you yesterday that gives you eternal life, that adopted you into God's family, that gave you a, an inheritance, a, that gave you a new family. Because tomorrow or the next day or the next day, what you hope for might not come to pass, but this came to pass. And has given you all that you have to look forward to. I wonder, do, Christian, do you meditate on, think about what Christ has done for you? I, some of you know my story. So I got, I got baptized at age 11. I got saved at age 25. It's not how it's supposed to work. But I was preaching then, got saved Five years later, called a ministry, ended up going to Bible college, seminary, and was preaching for about 11, 12 years until the gospel plastered me. You know what the problem was all those years that I was preaching the gospel and I could have articulated like that? Is I failed to see myself with the magnitude of the need that I had. Uh, And I'll be honest, some of you have been here a long time, so this would have included you. (laughs) Total confession time, I would sometimes preach up here as if you folks should get it together. Like me. And eventually, God dragged me kicking and screaming to come face to face with the understanding that I was not only exactly like all of you, but I was exactly like the worst pedophile, the worst murderer on death row, the serial killers. I was just like them. God saw me as hopeless as them, as helpless as them, as disgusting as them, as wicked as them. It didn't matter that I hadn't killed anybody. It didn't matter that I hadn't molested a child. What mattered was I had sinned against the Holy God. Period. Period. <laughs> What's James say? James chapter 2, verse 10. If you keep the whole law, in other words, you obey all of God's commands and yet you stumble at one point, you have become guilty of what? One sin? All of them. The gospel only becomes sweet when we grasp the magnitude of our need. If I don't really need God, the fact that he offers himself to me, is like, eh, ho-hum. Do you meditate on? On how needy you were and how glorious Jesus has been to come to you and give his life, shed his blood, be tortured by the cross and the crown and the whip and all that. Because the magnitude of his love for you. And then to say, Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Picked for mercy but you were not just picked for mercy and I wasn't just picked for mercy just so we could wallow in it and enjoy it and that's the end of the story. Again, verse 9, you are royal priests as a result, you can show others the goodness of God or more literal translation, the excellencies of God for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. He saved you, dragged you kicking and screaming out of the darkness, you're now in the light and so as a result, you are now a holy priest to tell other people about it. What's a priest do? A priest serves people by connecting them to God. My background is Mennonite. I grew up in a Mennonite church, so did Betty and uh, our founder in the Mennonite church was Menno Simons, and one of the gifts that Menno Simons gave to the emerging Reformed, uh, Reformation churches was rediscovering the priesthood of all believers. This is, we still have a problem with this today. <clears throat> the early church uh, lapsed, they went from Elders and priesthood of believers in churches. Till it wasn't long till they're going back to their Jewish roots and saying, "Oh, we need bishops and we need we need priests and we need popes and all of that." And then the Refor- Reformation comes around, and that begins to change. But the idea that everyone who's a child of God, everyone you don't know, have a seminary degree, you don't need to have a Bible college degree, you don't need to be ordained, you're all we are all priests. Meaning we serve. We serve by bringing people together with God. Now, we serve them, but we don't save them. Only Jesus saves them, amen? <clears throat> so in the Roman Catholic Church, if you're having a particularly bad week, you go into, the, uh, go into the church, you go to the confessional, a priest is sitting on the other side, there's this little screen between you, you say all the bad things you did that week, and then the priest says to you, my son, my daughter, your what are forgiven? Your sins. I, I absolve you of your sins. And you're like, wait, he's a, he's a person like me. W- what, what did Jesus' critics say to him? Who could forgive sins but God, right? First Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, there's only one mediator between God and man who can save, the man Christ Jesus. So, We talk about a high priest, that's Jesus, Hebrews 8. He's a better high priest than the Old Testament high priest because the Old Testament high priest was a sinner. Jesus wasn't a sinner, so he can save, and he can save completely. But we are priests under him, royal priests, and we are connecting other people to God. Here, let let me take you and show you my Jesus. We're to proclaim God's mercy. We've been picked for mercy so that we can turn around and proclaim God's mercy. To show others the goodness of God, His excellencies. I, the, the mission that Jesus Christ has sent us on is a glorious mission because it's a glorious message. Do you believe that? Is, it, is the message of salvation by faith alone good news? We, we have a wonderful message to take. It doesn't mean that everybody's going to receive it wonderfully from us. We Probably many of us have had encounters where people say, yeah, thanks, no thanks, or worse. But we know that it's a wonderful message and they're not going to be receptive to it until the Holy Spirit really does the work on them. What did Jesus say? No one can come to me unless the Father draws him. So we, we do our proclamation, but understand it's a supernatural transaction. The Holy Spirit goes to work. But we have a wonderful message. We shouldn't be shy about it. This mission Jesus has sent us on, it, it, it should be easy to embrace because, man, it's such good news. Now, there's another piece of the motivation for this mission that we can't ignore. And that is how urgent it is. So some of you grew up in church and you memorized John 3, 16 as a child maybe let's give it a go see if we can enough of you here who have memorized that whatever translation you memorized in that's okay ready for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes on him should not perish but have eternal life now that's so positive isn't it and so warm and uplifting but have you read verse 18 I mean, Jesus is the one who says for God so loved the world on and on and on but Jesus says verse 18 as well take a look at it John 3 18 there is no judgment against anyone who believes in him in Jesus but anyone who does not believe in him has already been what judged for not Believing in God's one and only son. Now, I don't believe that uh, people talk to me and say, Keith, don't you think that if we just had a picture of hell that we would be more evangelistic, we would tell people about Jesus? I'm like, maybe for three weeks. I just don't think it's sustainable. I just... I don't know that it's sustainable when we get pushback from people. I don't know that it's sustainable when there's some cost to us that when we're declaring the gospel to say, oh, I, I, I remember that if they don't trust Christ, they're going to hell. I, I haven't found it sustainable, and I talk to people who really believe it like I do, and it just doesn't have the teeth. But it is urgent and we can't forget that today, today, across the world, there are hundreds of thousands of people who will breathe their last breath and enter into this judgment. Hudson Taylor, the famous missionary to China back in the 1800s, late 1800s. Tremendous man of God. God used him powerfully. That that mission here 150, 160 years later, still ongoing today, uh, now called Overseas Missionary Fellowship instead of China Inland Mission. And uh, Hudson Taylor was a, Really, have any school degrees or anything, but he had a heart that God had given him for the Chinese people, and he totally immersed himself in Chinese culture. He received a lot of criticism from other missionaries because he dressed like them and he and he wore uh, uh, for the, like the men did a braided pigtail down the back, dyed his hair black, so that he could really be one of them. And so he learned the language pretty well and one night he was speaking to a group of Chinese people and there was a cotton merchant in the back of the room by the name of Mr. Ni. And he had formerly been a, uh, a teacher in Buddhism. And as he's listening to Taylor speak about the compassion of God and, and the love of God and the mercy of God and, and God's self-sacrifice for those he loved, he, he was blown away. And so by the time he, uh, Taylor had finished speaking, Mr. Nee got up from his seat and he went up and he, he said, would I be able to speak to the group? And uh, Hudson Taylor said, sure. And he turned and he said this, he said, I have long sought the truth, but without finding it. I have searched far and near, but have never searched it out, meaning I've never discovered it. In Confucianism, in Buddhism, in Taoism, I have found no rest. But I do find rest in what we have heard tonight. Henceforth, I am a believer in Jesus. Now, he and Hudson Taylor became good friends, and they would minister together. And one night, Mr. Nee asked Hudson Taylor, So, how long have you had this message in your country? Hundreds of years. What? Hundreds? Why have you not come before? My father searched his whole life for truth and died without finding it. Why did you not come before? We have a wonderful message and it's an urgent one for many people around the world being reluctant to talk about Jesus or ready to talk about Jesus and, and just for the record let's let's get it out on the table we all blow this don't we how many times have we missed opportunities How many times have we said the wrong things and that goes with the territory i i was trying to rent a uh, vacation place for our family next summer and i thought i'd found the perfect place i mean it's so expensive just finding affordable places is ridiculous i found the perfect place on friday up in the poconos and i i booked it and uh, i was so excited about that about six eight hours later i got a text from this place saying I'm so sorry Keith but and that's all that was in the text like well what that means not going to be good (laughs) what had happened is I gave them my phone number cell phone number but they didn't they had my home email address so I was at work uh, so I didn't get to check till I got home from work and here it says we're so sorry but you booked off a site that we hadn't updated the prices yet and the Uh, Because it's hardly ever used. The price is another $2,000. And maybe that's too much for you, she said. I wrote back, yeah, it's too much. I said, that's really disappointing. That looked like the perfect place for our family. We were hoping to be able to go there. But yeah, that's about $1,000 too high. And I thought, let's leave that door open. I think there are truth in lending laws yet. They thought that might be a problem. So... Um, the next day I got a, I got another email from the company, but it was from a different person It says, give me a call when you can. So I, I called them and uh, I called him, Eugene, Eugene was Russian and a little hard to understand, but he was very apologetic about the price, um, uh, not being updated on TripAdvisor and, um, i said yeah it was really disappointing i said we were really looking forward to going there next year and, and i said let me see and so i hear him doing some calculating like, well this could be good and he's he's saying numbers every now and then he said well i could do it for for this figure he said i'll tell you what i could do it for this figure and i said well I said, I told the other girl, I said, it's about $1,000 too high. I said, that's still about $200 too high. He's muttering some more, some more figures. He said, okay, I'll do it for that. He says, we all have to pay for our mistakes, right? And I think, oh, boy. The only problem was I thought that eight hours later. What an incredible lead-in. I could have said, Eugene, that's not true. Universally. Let me tell you about Jesus. But I totally muffed it. And you probably do that too. And there are times we miss it and there are times we just don't do it the way. That's not the issue. The issue is is do we treasure Jesus? I think that's the issue. I think that's what's going on in our churches across the seas where there's far more persecution. I treasure Jesus enough that I'm willing to stand with him, one, and I'm willing to speak for him, too. And I wonder this morning if you can say, as a follower of Jesus Christ, I treasure Jesus I treasure Jesus what Jesus say where your treasure is there your heart will be or are there 20 other things that we treasure that have made us lose our delight in him and what he's done for us you know I'm convinced that the The enemy has become an extremely good student of American culture in the last 80 to 100 years. And if I'm right, you know what he's discovered? He's discovered that he doesn't need to lure us away with bad things. That he can be especially effective in this culture, luring us away with good things. Jesus just gets crowded out. Jesus just isn't a treasure anymore. He's still a good thing, and he's still our Savior. Yay, we're going to heaven. But everything else has become the treasure. And I want to encourage you, if, if you would say that's true of me, at least to some degree, like, what, what do I do? My answer is not going to be new to you. The word of God is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. It is the word of God that we, through which we learn about our blessed Savior. It is the word of God who is going to fan the flames of your delight in Jesus. It is the word of God that, that is going to be the meat for your soul. And if you admit, man, I don't look at my Bible from one week to the next or from one month to the next, I can guarantee you Jesus is in your treasure. Guarantee. But if you will open your word and invite God, say, Lord, don't just open the word, but ask God through the Holy Spirit to begin to speak to you, not just reading printed words on a page, but begin to speak to you, he will do it. He will do it and he will give you himself all over again as a treasure not just a savior and maybe when that day comes when we have to stand or when we get to speak for Jesus we're ready instead of scrambling and say I should have done I shoulda woulda coulda is he your treasure And what will it take for him to be if he's not? Let's pray together. Father, I want to pray for myself, brothers and sisters. We live in such a well-to-do country. We have so many opportunities, opportunities that can crowd you out, people that can crowd you out, um, affections that crowd you out. And we never mean it for it to happen. It just takes its course. And we, we want to we be like our Afghan brothers and sisters in that. We treasure you enough that willing to suffer for you. Enough willing to speak for you. Some of us are going to get that chance to speak for you this week. I hope it's me. I want to be prepared, less attentive to the bargain price I'm getting on a rental, and more attentive to somebody that might need Jesus. Give us words to say when we don't know what to say questions to ask when we don't know what questions to ask. Are willing to end it when it seems like the Spirit is done with that conversation. But may it all be done this week, next month, five years down the road out of our great delight in our Savior, the Lord Jesus, for all he has done. Pray in his name. Amen.